Hashtag Pistons Podcast. We're back for another exciting episode. I'm Joe. I'm your host. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore truck. Um, today we are not joined by my usual co-host of Kuka Hill. He was having some computer issues and ended up not being able to join us, but I am not alone. We do have with us today Evan Damerell. I hope I pronounced that right. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at am not Evan. No spaces, no underscores or anything. Am not Evan. So Evan covers the Cleveland Cavaliers for Forbes Sports, uh, and he once upon a time wrote with me back at here at hashtag. Uh, so got a little bit of an in there, uh, and so originally we figured we'd have him on and just talk about the Cavs, but obviously, literally like an hour or so before this podcast, we start recording this podcast. Um, the Russell Westbrook trade happened, so I think we're gonna start. Uh, with that, so Evan, I'm curious. You can start. Um, what is your early early reactions to the Russell Westbrook trade? Uh, good for Oklahoma City. They have eight or nine first round picks in the upcoming future now. So, I mean, I think at this point, Daryl Morey has made it clear that um, he probably won't be here if this doesn't work <laughs> this time next year. So just go all in i guess but um either houston's going to be a lot of fun or they're going to be a huge huge disaster and i'm going to live for every second of it yeah i mean some people have suggested that it's a trade that doesn't make any sense for houston and while westbrook is obviously not a particularly clean fit with harden um there are a couple of things first off is that now we don't know exactly how much the because there were some stories about that supposedly Harden and Chris Paul did not really get along, which shocker, mm-hmm. someone didn't get along with Chris Paul. Yeah, but for real, um, you know, we don't know exactly how bad that was. Like, was it just yeah they didn't much like each other, or was it as bad as like they bar- like there were a couple reports that they barely even spoke to each other for a long time, that it was a huge issue. So that's a little bit hard to say exactly where that was, but. Um, James Harden and Russell Westbrook are legitimately very good and close friends. So that's one thing that's a clear advantage for the Rockets is that it's a guy that James Harden gets along with at a very basic level. Uh, So hopefully you won't have any of that. And then beyond that is just when you think about this Rockets team, at least how they were last season and the year before that, I suppose, they basically operated on doing almost nothing but just constant iso ball. And, I mean... Russell Westbrook is pretty good at that, so they can. It'll it'll it won't be pretty. It'll be very much my turn, your turn. The fact that Russell can't shoot will be an issue when James Harden has the ball. But it just, I think that there's a degree to which this might end up actually working out okay for them, and because of the fact that Chris Paul's contract is also really terrible, uh, you didn't necessarily even get that much more. You're not as worried, I suppose. Yeah, that's the best way to put it. If you're the Rockets, you're not as concerned about the fact that Westbrook's contract is big, it's long, it's terrible, when you are getting rid of another contract that is big, long, and terrible in Chris Paul's contract. And Westbrook is younger than Chris Paul is now. He's been more durable than Chris Paul ever was. So, you know, it doesn't make the best sense on paper. I'm not sure that it's going to work. But there is at least some logic behind it, I think. No, I totally agree, and I think having Mike D'Antoni running the show for the offensive system will definitely help 
I mean, he'll figure out a way to make Westbrook work. He He's a point guard whisperer for a reason. Um, and it'll be actually nice to maybe see Russ have a actual coach that has a knows what he's doing because uh, I'm not I'm not the biggest Billy Donovan fan and um, Scotty Brooks uh, wasn't a fan of him either. Um, but it'll definitely be interesting to see what happens. But I'm just like, you, I I hope it works because it would be it'd be exciting, fun basketball. It's good for the league that there's more and more teams that are actively trying to improve their roster and their chances to maybe make a run at a championship because the Kevin Durant injury and him moving to the East and Golden State kind of, well, they are vulnerable now. It's just, it's opened up the door for a lot of teams and I applaud like everybody who's trying to go all in on it. And um, it's just definitely interesting to see. It's just what concerns me is though, um, Houston gave up quite a few picks draft picks and i mean that's why i'm saying it's good for oklahoma city because um they looked like they were dead in the water because i think the westbrook trade actually got the better of the luxury tax threshold too which is it, it was like they knocked out everything they needed to do in one trade so it's pretty good start for their rebuild and i applaud them for that but we'll see what happens with chris paul yeah i do definitely agree that it's a really good trade for oklahoma i think uh, like you mentioned, it does just barely get them under the tax for this coming season, which is a small victory. Uh, they got a couple of picks out of it and a couple of potential pick swaps, although those those swaps are probably not going to happen uh, if everything goes as you would think it would at least. But another thing that's a little bit, I guess you could almost say underrated about it is um, now there's been some conflicting reports. Some people have seemed to think that the Thunder are almost certainly going to try and either flip or whatever Chris Paul right away. But there's also been some reports that they plan to keep him. And within that, um, I mean, the Thunder could still field a pretty competitive team this next season, right? Like, Chris Paul, you still got Steven Adams. Uh, they got Danilo Gallinari in the, in the um, Paul George trade. Uh, they've still got, not still got, they also got uh, Shy Gilgis, Alexander and such. Like, they still have a roster that they can do something with, so they could maybe be in a position where they can be a fairly decent, entertaining, competitive team while they now have just so many picks that they'll have a really bright future as well. So, I don't know. I think that that's a good trade for them. Uh, as long as Chris Paul doesn't make, like, a huge stink and just ruin things for everybody, uh, which is a possibility given what we know about Chris Paul. But I think mm -hmm. other than that, it's a good trade for the Thunder. Um, yeah, go ahead. Uh, no, I totally agree. Um, I think it's a, I mean, it's a, it's a good trade for the Thunder because a lot of people are pointing out, and I was kind of joking because I tweeted a picture. <laughs> um, he had the Oklahoma City Hornets jersey on, and it was like, eh. Everyone's like, it's just like, oh, his career's coming full circle. But uh, so I guess that's kind of neat. But I actually have Woj's Twitter feed up right now, and he said that um, in the – he said that Houston helped to find a third team destination preferable to Chris Paul, but opening leads to OKC to execute next step once Presti confers with <clears throat> Chris Paul's agent Leon Rose. And they said Miami's a possibility. So let's say just Chris Paul doesn't want to be in Oklahoma City. I think Oklahoma City has the means to flip him. And I see, I mean, I mean there's a few options on the table, I feel, that could make it happen. Yeah. And I will say this that. One thing that maybe some people who are really heavily criticizing the trade for the Rockets is so 
the Rockets gave up two first-round picks. Um, if the Rockets are good, those are going to be late first-round picks. And there's a degree to which I think people overestimate how valuable those can be. Like, when you're picking late in the first round, by and large, you're hoping, and it's such a crapshoot, that, like, if you pick late in the first round, if the guy you pick ends up being, like, a back-end rotation player, you consider that a small victory more often than not. So mm-hmm. I would say now, the the issue, is, of course, is that, so I think they're both unprotected, right? I think they're top four protected. Okay. So if things were to go horribly, horribly wrong for Houston and those ended up being, you know, the fifth overall pick or something like that, then it would be a big issue. But I think you just kind of make that bet. And once again, I don't think that this trade, and even though it doesn't make a lot of sense on paper, I think that it makes enough sense to be worthwhile for them. Uh, Yeah, so I don't know. If you've got any other thoughts on that, you can give them. Um, otherwise, we could start to move on to some other stuff. It's just it's uh, funny, you know, because it might be a good transition for us. Um, the cost of a – the value of a late first-round pick right now is $5 million in four second-rounders. So, if I mean, if Oklahoma City doesn't want to add a player, they could flip it for that. Yeah. So. <laughs> that is true. Um, and you're right. That's an excellent segue, and that's something that is pertinent to Pistons fans. So, um, we'll talk about some of the other stuff that the Cavs have done this offseason in a little bit, but I think we can just start there then. So, for you as a Cavaliers fan, what did you think about that move to give up? Now, I, my understanding is that at least one of those second-round picks was one that is not likely to have ever conveyed regardless um, and some other stuff. But what did you think about doing all that to get Kevin Porter Jr.? And sort of what are your thoughts on Kevin Porter Jr.? Um, well... The thing is, I've heard and read that the Cavs had Kevin Porter pretty high on their draft board. Um, Kobe Altman watched him work out uh, back almost a year ago in Portland and then was enamored with him then and then just was constantly keeping an eye on him. And his name kept popping up a lot like early on in the draft process for the Cavs. And I wasn't the biggest fan. And granted, I... uh. I talked to Trevor Magnotti a lot about this stuff because he lives, eats, and breathes and shits the draft. So I usually just say, like, hey, what do you think of this prospect? It's usually what is usually whenever I DM him, I'm just like, can you tell me about this guy? And he'll, like, write me in just a nice, concise, like, paragraph or two about why they're not good on the Cavs. I'm like, okay, thanks. <laughs> but um, he wasn't a big Kevin Porter fan. But um, I can understand why the Cavs liked him so much. And because um, there's a lot of potential there. It's just if you can get his head on straight. And um, I think the value at 30 is definitely worth it. Like, the, I doubt those, like, like you said, one of those second rounders may not really convey anytime soon. And um, if that's the, if that's what the going price was for the 30th pick in the draft to get Kevin Porter, and let's say he, it's a it's a gamble at that point because there's a lot there's a lot of variables at the th- with the thirtieth pick in the draft like either they're gonna be an end of a rotation player or not and if the Cavs viewed him as a top ten talent kind of the thirtieth pick and it cost five million and four second rounders I definitely think that's a pretty decent pickup. Well, there's a degree to which it almost mirrors. Now they didn't trade up for him, but it mirrors a little bit with the Pistons. 
So the Pistons, when they drafted Sekou, um, they supposedly had him fourth overall on their big board, uh, mm-hmm. which is what I've heard. And it's sort of like a lot of people questioned that pick when they first made it and such, but like, especially when you've got a new-ish front office doing a rebuild, which um, Colby Altman and such are not as new as the Pistons front office, but he hasn't been around super long, right? He took over mm-hmm. the last year of LeBron, and then last season was really his first year and such. Um, yeah. If you can't trust your guys and your draft board and such, then what are you even doing all of that preparation for? You know what I mean? Like, no, I agree. I mean, you could sit here and you could say, well, you know, I'm not sure that I have that much faith in this new front office and such, which might be fair. But, I mean, if they really viewed him as that high, then that's the right move to make. Because, And that's I think that's really the way that you have to look at it, which is that if you're not, you know, if you seriously view him as a potentially a top 10 talent and he's available at 30 and you can make that move to get the 30th pick, then, like, I mean, if you don't do that, then what are you even paying all of your scouts and everyone who decides where you put guys on your big board? What are you even doing any of that for if you're not willing to make that sort of a move for that kind of a guy? No, I totally agree. Um, But uh, I guess answer your other question. Um, After he was drafted, because to be fair, um, (laughs) I didn't do a lot of scouting on either Dylan Whitler or Kevin Porter because I'm like, there's no way either of them are going to be a Cavalier because... I went into the draft night thinking, oh, we're going to totally move 26 and JR up into the late lottery. And I was spoon-fed that BS by a few people that I've talked to. So, um, but it didn't, it didn't happen. But um, I, like, kind of, like, broke it down. And I got dragged for a little bit by a few people on Twitter. And I said, Kevin Porter's just going to be the next Jordan Clarkson. Because the people who follow me know I'm not the biggest Jordan Clarkson fan <laughs> at times. And then afterwards, somebody called me out like, oh, no, 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 he's a Cavalier. He's just James Harden with a hitch in his shot. But um, all the potential's there, and I can understand why so many people were so high on him. But I do think Cleveland might be a good situation for him where Bayline's going to be patient with him. He's more of a – he's the coach, but he's also a teacher, and he's going to take a lot of these young guys under his wing, and he has so far. He really has. He's been very active with them in Vegas, from what I've gathered. And um, I think he, I think the Cleveland situation is a good situation for him because of that, and the fact that um, they're keep. I'm pretty sure, about ninety nine percent sure, they're keeping Mike Garrity on their uh, coaching staff next year, and he's one of the player development coaches, and he actually is the one who gets the credit for turning Colin Sexton into such a good three-point shooter and fixing Jetty Osmond's three-point shot, and he actually taught, helped work with Larry Nance to make him a semi-decent three-point shooter, and when I talked to Larry last, he said that's what he's been doing every day at the practice facilities, keep jacking up threes with Garrity, so I mean, there's got to be something there if he's able to turn around that many players, so if he can fix Porter shot, and I think if he takes Bayline's teaching seriously and really tries to work his tail off and live up to his potential, it's going to be a slam dunk with a pick at 30 because he's just so immensely talented. It's just there's so many mental road, roadblocks along the way that's holding it back. Yeah, I mean, and you spend a little bit of time around the team and such. Are you worried about those sort of off the court issues? Because, so like, um, we when we had uh, we had Rod Beard on, who's one of the beat writers for the Pistons before or not before, like right after the draft, 
And mm. he said that, you know, when he talked to people, he just heard about so many red flags with Kevin Porter Jr. that he was like, yeah, I think that they just, uh, you know, a lot of teams just decided, nope, we don't want anything to do with him, basically. And I'm just curious, do you think that uh, when you, you know, have you heard any of these things that make you nervous about, or do you think that that's all overblown and he's going to be okay? I think he's going to be okay, because one example I've heard a few times now is J.R. Smith was viewed as a lot like a lot of a head case when he got traded to Cleveland. I was actually pretty upset when he got traded to Cleveland because I'm like, great, he's going to completely throw the locker room. But then J.R. is just like, mm, there's not a lot to do in Cleveland. You just kind of lay low, play Xbox, and shoot hoops. And that's what they're kind of getting from Porter. And more so that, like, I think it's a big buzzword in the Cavs front office and behind the scenes is they're trying to establish a culture and you can really tell they're establishing a culture in Vegas because Porter's not playing. Garland isn't playing. Colin Sexton isn't playing. Jetty Osmond, he technically could qualify, but he isn't playing because he's playing in FIBA. And, but he flew back from Turkey just to be a part of the Vegas summer league. And then you have a couple of the other veterans who are just hanging out too. Like the Cavs are a pretty tight knit group already. And I think that's something that they're carrying over from the LeBron era as well, where he kept the team as close as he could. And um, Bayline's really pushing that these guys spend time together and like they watch film together and just hang out and do whatever, but within obviously without getting in trouble. But I think like the culture that they're trying to establish is really going to benefit him long term. And I'm maybe it's because Kobe Altman can make anything negative seem like a positive, but when he like has told me and others multiple times, like, yeah, we're really trying to establish like a winning culture and a winning attitude here. Um, even though when they win 19 seasons, he's still optimistic about the team. Like that's saying something that like the Cavs have the right people in place to make sure people like Kevin Porter can't succeed. Okay. And then I think off of that note, it's as good a time as any. Um, so obviously the Cavs hired John Beeline away from Michigan, which there's a decent number of, there's a decent amount of overlap between Pistons fans and U of M fans, and even those that aren't are Michigan State fans, so even they have some interest in this. Um, what did you think about that hire, and how do you think he's going to work out for the Cavs? Um, well, this definitely caught me off guard. Um, one thing, I've said this to a lot of people off, like just offhand and the few podcasts I've been on, um, the Cavs front office really works in the shadows and they fly do a lot of stuff under the radar um i was more than convinced at one point that um the final candidate one of the final candidates was going to be jordy fernandez and i was getting ready to crack my knuckles because i was the one who was like preaching for the mountaintop saying that oh yeah let's hire jordy fernandez as the next head coach but um I think it's a good hire on a bunch of fronts. Um, it really it's it scratches Dan Gilbert's itch because he's been dying to get a college head coach to coach the Cavs for a long time. He's been trying to court Izzo for the longest time. He tried to get Calipari a few times. I mean, even he even offered Coach K the gig at one point too. I'm I think, and it's just that scratches his itch. So maybe that just keeps him happy. Um, I see Bayline as. Um, I don't, I don't see him as a long ter- long term head coach. You have to factor in his age a little bit there, as bad as it might sound. Um, but I think the way I view it is, is you 
put him in. He installs his system because he he's a he has a proven track record of success everywhere he's been, especially at Michigan. And it's a and he establishes a culture and he establishes a system. And then maybe he has an assist. We have um, a few assistants waiting in the wings. Um, there's like Lindsey Gottlieb, JD Bickerstaff, who's a bit of a retread, but I guess he's young enough. Um, and I I'm pulling up. I want to get his name right. Um, sorry. No problem. Take your time. Uh, Antonio Lang. Um, Antonio Lang's been coaching the team in uh, Vegas. It's been it's been like him and Bickerstaff, I think, have been switching off, but mostly Lang's been running the show. Um, I think they're trying to put like young assistant coaches or coaches that have had success at the collegiate level, like Gottlieb, who can who specialize in focus in player development and helping develop this roster. And that's something Beeline has a bit of a MO for too with player development because he's known to make a lot of uh, something out of nothing with a lot of the lower star recruits he's had and everything. So I definitely am excited about the potential. Um, I'm a little hesitant about his two-point guard set, but we'll see what happens with that. But um, I don't know. I'm, I'm definitely intrigued by it. It was uh, something that definitely caught me off guard when they announced the hiring. And it says a lot when a lot of people on the national scale are super impressed with the Cavs coaching hire. So I was just like, okay, well, that gives me a little bit of peace of mind. And then after I did a lot of research, I definitely felt comfortable with having him be the guy who maybe leads the transition from the LeBron era to maybe out of the shadow of LeBron, which is no easy task. Yeah. And you brought it up, so I think it's, you know, may as well move into it. So, obviously, you've got Colin Sexton already in, and then they drafted uh, Darius Garland with the fifth overall pick in the last draft, um, you know, a few weeks ago. And mm-hmm. so, the beeline has been pretty clear that he's comfortable they're going to play him both and such. Um, you said you were a little bit skeptical about that. Uh, could you just maybe elaborate on that a little bit more about what you think about that potentially being the combo going forward? Yeah, um, it's definitely just it's interesting because it, it's worked for him at Michigan for sure. And um, a popular buzzword and term, and even Kobe Altman brought it up that, and Colin Sexton and Garland all brought it up is like, oh, we're growing an offense similar to Portland's. And I said, let's just pump the brakes here a little bit, fellas. You're 19 and 20 years old. And um, let's just say Colin Sexton and Darius Garland do end up like Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. That's pie in the sky, perfect scenario. So freaking happy. But defensively, it just doesn't work because both of them are smaller guards that will get shredded and then i guess my thing that i always fall back on is um yeah portland's really dynamic but then when they ran into a brick wall like steph curry um steph curry ate them alive on the and they just couldn't contain him and i'm like eh. but and then there's another thing too that always just in the back of my mind that um internally a few members of the organization back in like December, January, February just started like quietly whispering, saying like maybe Colin Sexton might be more of a six man than our point guard of the future, which you know isn't a great thing to hear as a fan and someone who covers the team. You're like, oh, this is the guy we traded. This is this is the pick that we traded Kyrie Irving for, and it's going to be a six man. But um, there are some legitimate concerns about his uh, playmaking and vision never properly developing, and the fact that. 
he is so ball dominant as a guard and that um, he might be better suited as a six man. So I just look at it this way. The Cavs are going to be bad for the next year to next year to two to three years. And um, go ahead. Just let them play with each other. Let them get comfortable with each other. Because when push comes to shove, if you have Darius Garland ending up playing up to his potential, because he's a bit of a mystery himself, um, that's great. You can lock him in as a starting point guard. And then you maybe go after uh, shooting a defensive-minded shooting guard or something similar to like clay thompson that's it's a lazy example but and then you have sexton playing as his backup as the sixth man if you have those two comfortable with an established chemistry when it comes to the playoffs it's a pretty valuable thing to have in closing time instead of having as your main option on offense and more so could just be more of a wrinkle long term okay um that's interesting that you said that about sexton because the sort of people's feelings on him are pretty varied. There's some people that think that he's just objectively not good. Uh, yeah. I was mostly, I mean, I didn't watch a ton of Cavs games, but I was mostly impressed with him. Uh, he shot the ball a lot better than really anyone thought he would. Uh, he really does legitimately, legitimately have a killer first step. He can get to the hoop really well. Uh, mm. I like him, um, but if... You're right. That is not a great sign that, you know, sort of, even if just quietly, there's people around the organization partway through his rookie season are like, yeah, he may not actually be the point guard of the future. Uh, That's not a great sign for him. But overall, one thing that's probably a little bit strange is so, because you're probably very used to the general discourse being, wow, the Cavs are stupid and suck. But by and large, and I would agree with this, People have reacted to the rebuild that the Cavs have done since LeBron left as being really smart and good. Is that kind of a strange thing to experience where people are like, man, the Cavs are doing all of this really good and smart stuff? See, I'm, I mean, I'm a huge Kobe Altman fan. I've really liked a lot of the moves he's made. Um, I thought it was a bold strategy back when Isaiah Thomas wasn't working and Jay Crowder and Dwayne Wade was more so to send him home at that point. wasn't working. Blew up the roster and, I mean, fell apart at the worst possible time in the playoffs and LeBron had to carry him, but, I mean, that worked. And then the Kyle Korver trade for Alec Burks, which then he flipped for Brandon Knight and Marquise Chris, an additional first-round pick. And then we got Della Vadova and Milwaukee's 2021. I think it's lottery-protected first-round pick. Or I forget the protections off the top of my head, but... um. Like that's a good thing and he slowly assembled a bunch of expiring contracts so that cleveland can keep taking on more bad contracts and acquire more picks and he's like i said he's a he kind of takes people by surprise a lot too he from what i've gathered he has a gag order on most of the organization when it comes to a lot of internal decisions and stuff like um hopefully they don't hear this but um back when the Cavs were really like they were the worst team in the league I reached out and said like hey um have you guys ever like just done anything like with like done any scouting with Zion like do you have any thoughts like keep it anonymous they ended up calling me on the phone saying like yeah we can't tell you anything man and I'm like oh okay (laughs) that's awesome it is but I was just like wow that was really deflating because I'm like either I'm like I'm either I'm gonna get in trouble right now or something else but um 
I'm a really big fan of what Kobe's done so far with the rebuild. Um, he definitely, you can tell he was a student of uh, David Griffin, where Griff kind of grew the reputation in Cleveland, at least, or he played his cards really close to the vest, and he more often than not made something out of nothing, and Kobe's done a lot of the same here. And um, yeah, I don't know. I think we're handling the rebuild well. I There's plenty of people, like on because NBA Twitter is just the, the gift that always keeps on giving, and it just is so much fun. Um, it's just like people like, we should be trading for Westbrook, and thank God that can't happen anymore. But I'm just like, no, 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 no. And then I've gotten a few mentions tonight saying, like, oh, maybe the Cavs can flip J.R. Smith for Dennis Schroeder. And then I told some guy I used to write with, like, Blaine Blake, I'm like, I don't, I'm like, I don't like, I don't want Dennis Schroeder on this roster. He's so counterintuitive and counterproductive to what we need to do. And like, I think he just realized like this rebuild is a bit of a slow burn and um, you just accumulate assets and see what you got. And then I, I wrote this for Fear the Sword, but I'm a fan of the way Toronto kind of approach things. I, I mean, I used to dump on Toronto a lot when the Cavs used to bully them in the playoffs and everything. Um, as uh, Jordan from hashtag basketball knows best. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but um, I was a fan of the way they handled the rebuild where, like, after Chris Bosch left, they slowly just accumulated assets over time. And then when the moment arised and there's a power shift in the conference, i.e. for them when LeBron left, they pulled the trigger on that Kawhi trade and it paid off for them in spades. Now, I'm not saying the Cavs can do something like that or – they make one fran their one franchise altery trade and they win some a championship, but I th- would be totally okay with being a consistent playoff team that maybe becomes the darling of uh, the big brain NBA intelligentsia on Twitter. So hey, yeah. that's a that's not a bad goal to go for. Um, you know, be basically be the hipster NBA team. Yeah, I wouldn't complain about that at all. Um, and then I think here this could be kind of the last thing that we can have you leave with, but the kind of thing that could change, at least in most people's eyes, what do you think is going to happen slash what do you think should happen with regards to Kevin Love on this uh, Cavs roster? You see, it's interesting because I've gone back and forth on this a lot the last few days. So on Monday, I put a piece out for Forbes that said, like, all right, well, after Kawhi and Paul George went to the Clippers, it kind of set the table that the Cavs might need to start considering trading him. Because for the longest time, if you ever brought up the subject of, like, trading Kevin to anyone with the Cavs, they would just shut it down right away. Say, like, oh, no, we want Kevin here. He's an all-star. He wanted to stay with us, blah, blah, blah. And, like, it made sense at first and, like, it was a big moment. It was when they were renovating the arena. They had him come down and like sign the extension in front of all the uh, construction workers and stuff. Like it was a cool moment, and like you get caught up in it. You're like, oh wow, this guy wants to stay here, and then he goes down with an injury, and then the Cavs handled him with kid gloves, getting him back because at that point they knew the season was a wash, and why not try and get a high draft pick out of it? And then you start to look at the reality of the situation. You're like, we have a 30 year old forward who's making quite a bit of money who has missed quite a few games but um when he's healthy he's phenomenal and um i was talking to chris manning about it um and we were going back and forth on it and i just said like yeah i think if the opportunity arose and the Cavs, like the Cavs, point blank have to be blown away by the offer at this point for now at least by the trade the trade deadline things could be completely different 
But um, it's just like you'd have to offer draft picks or young players or something combination just to incentivize the Cavs to try and move an all-star forward because – and then Chris kind of put this idea in my head at first where we were talking about um, like uh, teams that like struggle with attendance like Charlotte and like you guys in Detroit kind of like, it, I mean, you guys showed up for the playoffs, but I do know like you guys did struggle for attendance last year, right? Yes. Yeah, it's just like moves like that where it's like Kevin Love is a marquee name for a casual basketball fan. And in a Midwest town like Cleveland where the Cavs play third fiddle to the Browns and the Indians, um, you have to try and keep some type, something of interest to keep the fans wanting to come. I mean, cheap tickets can only get you so far. If you're going to watch a lose, no one's going to come want to come out in the dead of winter to watch a team get blown out, especially if you have nobody worthwhile playing. And I'm like, okay, well, that makes sense. And then that just kind of got me thinking, I'm like, maybe I'm not as big a proponent of moving him right away. And I just kind of like I've changed my stance to this. Um, I think having Kevin Love on the roster at the beginning of the year, I think he will be here through the summer. I think he will be here at the beginning of the year because he's going to be huge for the development of the continued development of Sexton because there was a difference when Sexton played with and without Love. And he made he makes the team fun first and foremost, but he'll play a big part in Sexton's development. He'll play a big part in Garland's development. Osmond as well, even Nance, even though Nance is the same age as me, um, he's still growing as a player. And then most of all, he'll help Beeline as well, because as accomplished as he is collegiately, there will be a little bit of a learning curve and a transition, I'm sure, from college to the pros. And having an all-star forward on your roster definitely softens the blow and like makes things a little bit easier to transition. And then if things get rolling and this if everything's great and Darius Garland's playing up to his potential then Kevin Porter's looking solid off the bench and Dylan Windler's still hitting those bombs like he did against that one against San Antonio in summer league um then you can start considering maybe moving him because you have to start looking at the reality of the situation that timeline wise you have to think like he may not fit with us long term especially considering if there's like who's available in the draft and everything and just like age and longevity of his career. And it's also just doing right by Kevin because he's a, I mean, by all means, he's a great guy. Like one of my favorite interviews, always great for a quote. Um, be real sad to see him go for sure. And like all the stuff he's done for mental health and the fact that he embraces the city so much. And he genuinely loves being here and being a part of it says a lot because Cleveland has a tough time retaining star players, especially for the Cavs. Um, it's just, it'd be tough to see him go, but at the same time, you have to do right by him because he only has so many years left because, let's be frank, he'll be in his mid-30s by the time his contract expires, and maybe he'll get, like, a couple short-term deals after that. Why not let him just unleash him on a team that maybe thinks, like, because of how wide open the NBA is right now, you could send him to a team and thinks, like, maybe Kevin Love is the last piece we need to maybe push us to the limit to reach the Western or Eastern finals or even the NBA finals or a title. And I think that's another good, valuable thing to do too, because um, a front office that does right by a player goes a long way for both players and agents when it comes to free agency, what the Cavs are ready to be a major player again. Okay. Yeah. I, that's all fair. I mostly agree with that. Um, I think that your point of, just the larger value 
that just having a really good player like Kevin on the roster, even if the team is still going to be bad, just there's value in for the young guys and such to just have a guy like Kevin Love on the team, uh, mm-hmm. who is not just a phenomenal player and a veteran, but a guy who has won, who knows what it takes to win. And I think that there's definitely value there. And I think a lot of people overlook that aspect and that sort of a thing. So, you know, obviously, like you said, if someone makes a really good offer, obviously the Cavs need to be listening to that. But I do kind of agree with you that I'm not sure that they should be as eager to trade him as a lot of people think. Yeah, I think it's a lot of it's just it's it was a bit of a lull before Westbrook got traded and um, Channing Fry said like, oh, I think Kevin should go to Portland and since he played for the Cavs and then um, a few notable members of like uh, Blazers fans on writer beat writers on Twitter saying like, yeah, we should really trade for Kevin Love. And then Zach Lowe says Portland should trade for Kevin Love. And I think it was just because it was a little lull in free agency because it started before Kawhi made his decision. And then after Kawhi made his decision, it started gaining steam again that like it's just a target. And he, he's told me, Kevin's told me a few times now, he's just like, it's never an off season if I'm not in trade rumors. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that guy's been in trade rumors every offseason for, like, five years now, so. Yeah, I think it was, um, it's either Jimmy Kimmel or Jimmy Fallon. Like, they, they blend together to me. Um, it's just all that mean tweet of him. It's like, well, the Cavs lost again. Better blame Kevin Love. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Guy's been the punching bag for so long, but he still takes it. Yeah, and, I mean, with that note, I kind of, there's definitely part of me, it's not likely just because the rebuild is going to be a while, but there's definitely part of me that hopes that Kevin Love were, would stick around long enough to where the Cavs could get good again with him still on the team just because he's been that punching bag. All of the LeBron years, he was the guy who got the blame and stuff. So it just mm-hmm. it would be particularly sort of, it would be a really satisfying end to his arc if he could sort of, even if it wasn't that great of a team, just a pretty good young plucky team, if he could sort of be the guy to lead that sort of a team, even if for just a year or two later in his career, I think that'd be really fun. No, I agree. And, I mean, hey, if he really wants to wait it out, uh, wait till the 21-22 season when LeBron's a free agent again, just get the band back together with a couple of young bucks. So <laughs> That would be something. It would, but... Eh, there's there's plenty of people out there in the Cavs fandom who want LeBron to kick rocks, and I'm like, y'all are crazy. So, yeah. All right. Well, I think that's pr- about all that we were hoping to touch on. Uh, if Ku was here, I'm sure he'd have something he could rant about for a while and fill some more time. But uh, we'll probably call that good for the night. So once again, you can find Evan on Twitter at am not Evan. Uh, he doesn't tweet constantly, so he won't like ruin your timeline or anything like that. He just tweets out solid things about the Cavs. So if you want to follow somebody who will sort of keep you in the loop about how things are going in Cavaliers land, I would highly recommend following him. And uh, is there anything else you want to plug before we, we wrap this up? Um, no, not at the moment. It's just taking it easy. It's a, it's a bit of a dead patch for the Cavs right now. So not a big player in free agency, so... Just kind of taking it easy and waiting to see what they do with J.R. Smith. So, all right, nothing to plug. Okay, cool. So, follow him all on right. Twitter. You can read him on Forbes. And uh, thanks a lot for coming on, Evan, especially for waiting for me because I showed up pretty late. And, uh, yeah, stay beautiful, everybody, and go Pistons. <laughs>